You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 and 11 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. Coming up, many American voters were voting on health care. What do they really want? I'm going to ask Ken Rudin for his view, but I want to hear from you, too. If health care was a midterm priority for you, what message were you specifically sending to Washington and your state capital, whether that's in Minnesota, Wisconsin or Iowa? What do you want your representatives to know about what you were saying about health care? Here's the phone number, 651-227-6000-800-242-2828. On Twitter, at Carrie NPR, where Bell says, I voted with those who believe in and support a single-payer health insurance remedy. We're a family of seven, and our premium is more than our mortgage. Things have to change. So, yeah, I want to hear about your own personal situation. And if health care was at the top of your priority list as a voter... Tell me what you want. What message are you sending? 651-227-6000-800-242-2828, wherever you are in the region. And on Twitter at Carrie NPR, Ken Rudin with us. Welcome back, Ken. Good to talk to you again. Thank you, Carrie. Nancy Pelosi has said that she was determined that House candidates would keep a laser focus on health care, no matter what was what was coming out on tweets from the president, no matter what the latest shiny object was, they were talking health care. Do you think it worked? It wasn't as successful as she hoped it would be. Well, yes, I think so. I think health care obviously is a big issue. A lot of people are concerned about it, concerned about the future of their health care. They know that the Republican, the Affordable Care Act, the repeal of the Affordable Care Act would in many ways get rid of pre-existing conditions, which is a, 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 I mean, a extremely important issue for many, many Democrats and many Democratic candidates ran on it. And as that issue was gaining in importance towards the end of the campaign, Republicans started to run on it as well, which was a complete uh, <laughs> a, a change from I'm what we so expected. I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah. No, because you saw a lot of Republicans say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely for protecting pre-existing conditions when they all voted to repeal that as part of the ACA Let, uh, repeal. Let's so, say it again. Ken, so, Ken, Ken, linger on that for yeah. a moment. I, I just this is the record that is important here. Republican candidates did not like the ACA from the beginning. They voted against it. There was a lot of... A thousand times they voted against it. They promised to repeal it from the moment it was passed. There was a lot of public opinion that went with them, but public opinion began to change about the ACA. And Republican candidates, many of whom tried to get out here in the midterms to say, no, I always liked a lot about the ACA. And that just is not a fact because they voted to repeal it. No, it's not a fact at all. And they realize that the funny thing is, for the during much of the Obama presidency, the Affordable Care Act, so-called Obamacare, was really unpopular. And then we realized when President Trump took office, uh, the only thing more unpopular than Obamacare was anything else. And so <laughs> somehow Obamacare had a had a you know had a had a new feeling like. Wow, you know, what were we thinking? We need this. And Republicans were not uh, oblivious to the polls as well. So they started saying these things. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, I've always been in favor of, uh, of protecting the, uh, the, the pre-existing conditions, which is absolutely not true. Call here from Dave in Excelsior. Dave, was health care on your mind as a voter? 
Yes, thank you for having me on today. Sure. Yes, healthcare was on my mind, but healthcare was on my mind in a in a manner slightly different than what you're talking about and what many voters would talk about, and that is that I'm a I'm a veteran and mm-hmm. I use VA healthcare, mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't hear your station talking about that the the fact that they're the administration and the Republican Party are are moving forward with with um under the under the table privatization of the VA and this is a this is a major issue for veterans who use VA healthcare it should also be a uh issue for the rest of the public because the rest of the public doesn't realize how much the VA affects their healthcare through research and training of of um um, medical people, the doctors, the nurses, okay. medical technicians, Dave, and so forth. Dave, let me, I, I want to define, thanks for the call. Uh, Ken, I'm wondering if Dave is talking about, in and correct me if this isn't right, but in trying to uh, decrease the wait times and some of the other problems that the VA had, they've gone at, basically outside of the VA, right, to, to make it more open to veterans to get health care. And is that, do you think, what Dave means by under-the-table privatization? That is my un- that is my understanding. And first, Dave, I, want, I mean, he, he got off the phone before we could thank him for his service. I, mean, I think we thought a lot about that yesterday. And sadly, <clears throat> too, <clears throat> excuse me, too many of us think of veterans only on Veterans Day. And while they, you know, they have a, a lifetime of, 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 of wounds and recoveries and, and, and trauma that we don't give enough attention and concern about veterans. So, Dave, thank you for your service. But that's absolutely true. You know, during the campaign, President Trump said there was no be- nobody more closely attuned to what veterans want than than himself. Uh, he justifiably complained about long delays for care for veterans under the Obama administration, and he promised something would change with that. And, of course, what's been doing that they've been basically ignoring the VA, going for privatization in many cases, which would cost veterans more and more money out of pocket. So so for all the talks about we have to do this for our veterans, um, this is coming out not the not the way the president promised it would be. Dana says, I voted to save pre-existing conditions, free birth control and universal health care to the phones to Margo in Mankato. Hi, Margo. As a health care voter, what were you thinking about? Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, I was thinking about single payer, but also about getting employment out of insurance. Ah. Attaching employment to insurance is not good or easy for employers or for those of us trying to get insurance. Yeah, Margo, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk with Zeke Emanuel, but he is convinced that within a decade, uh, most health insurance will be detached from employers. I wonder, Ken, what do you think about that? Oh, I haven't given that much thought. I know that's really, I, I look, I know that it's more and more difficult, more and more expensive to purchase uh, insurance more than ever. And, and obviously the Affordable Care Act was supposed to remedy part of that. And that has not really changed much. But there was also a big division within the Democratic Party about what to do regarding single health, uh, single payer plans right. and things like that. The, the feeling among what I'm seeing from Nancy Pelosi and other likely leaders in the Democratic Party now that they take over the House with, by the way, their biggest victory in the House since 1974, the Watergate year. It looks like they're going to pick up 
40 seats. So if we're going to talk about whether there was a referendum on President Trump and the Republicans in the House, there certainly seems to be. But there is divisions among the Democrats. Many of the Ocasio, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and and Ayanna Presley's and other new, more progressive Democrats who were elected saying that single payer plan is the way to go for the for the future of health care. And there are a lot of more conservative Democrats who say, do not do this. Do not replace what we have now. Just strengthen and protect the ACA. This this is going to be an interesting debate, isn't it, around single payer? For the moment, they don't have the Democrats don't have to really worry that they have to push some kind of legislation because it would die in the Senate and the president would never pass it or never sign it. But I mean, That's it's going to abs- be but it's going to be a talking point in 2020. So well, is it going to well, be practical or, you know, as, as you just said, the the uh, Ocasio-Cortez approach to this? Well, exactly. I mean, what is practical? The fact is a lot of things that the Democratic House may pass on gun violence, on on immigration, on on, you know, in, well, maybe not infrastructure, but but so many issues that are out there that are on the, the top of the list for the Democrats could very well die in the Republican Senate, but it really is more about politics and where the Democrats <clears throat> need to go after, you know, well, now it's six years. Uh, now it's, I'm sorry, now it's two years of President Trump. What happened in 2020 after four years of President Trump is the future of the Democratic Party more, I don't know if radical is the right word, but more do we talk about impeachment? Do we talk about investigations? Do we talk about in issues like health care? Do we talk about single payer plan or do we go more practical and say, look, let's not overreach like the so-called Gingrich class of 94 did and be more practical and go after, you know, you know, lowering drug costs and and working on infrastructure and infrastructure and things like that. So the Democratic Party, we talk about the split within the Republican Party over so many issues. The Democratic Party is hardly united as well. For sure. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussion within Democratic circles about this idea of Medicare for all. This is something that Bernie Sanders supports. And I want to grab a call on that, uh, Ken, from Steve in Minneapolis. Hi, Steve. You wanted to ask about Medicare for All. Yes. I was wondering if you could discuss how a transition to that would unfold and uh, um, prospective uh, benefits to businesses and uh, companies starting up. Let let me say this, Steve. We've got two health care experts coming. I want to ask Ken about the politics of it, but I promise you we will dig into the questions that you have about it. Ken, the politics of this. Well, that's probably what I could address more than the actual policy and the the actual transition of it. But look, we're talking about expenses and we're talking about how to pay for things. And I remember even when even when Bernie Sanders was running against Hillary Clinton in 2016, Hillary Clinton said, look, a lot of what Bernie Sanders is talking about is laudable, but it's not affordable and may not practical and it may not be practical. So for all the talk about whether we have Medicaid for all and we have free tuition for for colleges and, and things like that, who pays for it and how do we pay for it? And if if the Democratic Party is going to go back to higher spending and perhaps more taxes, which is what the Republicans have been saying about the Democrats since 1066, I think the Democrats may have some problems (laughs) for 2020. That was the treaty of, what was that treaty in 1066? Hmm. It was Billy Billy the Conqueror, (laughs) wasn't it? Uh, Well, we called him Billy. Hey, what you you just said about the, the blue wave, it has been slow to develop. It's been like a slow moving wave. But it now actually looks like it is a wave. And it didn't it didn't look so much like that on election night. 
Isn't that funny? I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking election night and said, well, for all the blue wave, for all the uh, referendum on Donald Trump, well, the Democrats did well in the House, but the Republicans did better well in the Senate. And while the Democrats did well in picking up gubernatorial races, they picked up seven seats. They lost in the high profile races or at least losing in the high profile rates of Georgia and Florida. I just heard that there's going to be a, a recount in Florida. Have they ever had that before? I'm not, I don't follow this stuff. <laughs> Apparently they've eliminated the hanging chads, but everything else is <laughs> really? the same. Well, That's what I hear. Well, it sounds like they want to hang the uh, head of the Broward <laughs> County of elections because they're talking about fraud, which is unproven completely. But if you look at some of these more and more House seats that we didn't see, look, you and I have been talking from the beginning that Minnesota was going to do exactly what we said it would do. They would gain two seats for the Democrats <laughs> and gain two seats for the Republicans. Yeah. They, you know, they knocked off Eric Paulson and and, uh, and uh, who was the other guy they knocked off? Um, uh, yeah, the Rick uh, Nolan seat went Republican. Rick, no, no, no. Well, Rick Nolan and the Tim Wall seat went for the Republicans. Yes. And the and the uh, uh, Angie Craig won a seat and Eric Paulson lost right. a seat. Jason so, Lewis, uh, right. Jason Lewis, right. It was the Jason double Lewis, flip. Thank you. Yes. It was. Yeah. But around the country, there were there. I mean, the Democrats, the, the Democrats won a seat in South Carolina, the, the seat that Mark Sanford used to hold. They won a seat on Staten Island in, in, in New York, which is so overwhelmingly Republican. Wow. They won a seat in Oklahoma. As I said, they're close to 40 seats, which is far better than what they did in 2016 when Nancy Pelosi first became speaker. And we have to go back to 1974 and the the impeachment of what's his name um, uh, to uh, to see the last time the Democrats did that. Well, by the way, I'm so glad you brought up what's his name, because I've been listening to that Uh, podcast, Slow Burn, about Watergate. Ken, you have to listen to this. You would love it. So many details about okay, Nixon. But, but Okay, but don't tell me how it ends, because I know this <laughs> is an impeachment, but I just, right. I'm so excited about this. You know that Mondays are always special for me because we get to talk, but I understand that tomorrow is a special day as well. Is it somebody's birthday? Is that right? Well, Fred Harris, the former senator from Oklahoma who ran for president in 1976, his birthday is November 13th. It is true. It's also wait, it's also my birthday. Yes. All right. All right. <laughs> but yes, yes, thank you very Ken, much. And I am having lunch tomorrow. I know in, with my in, friend Beth. With I your know. friend Beth Ruyak. Oh in, my in gosh. Yeah, That's so, so great. Ken so, and you know tr- turning a big t- you know turning 21 is big excitement <laughs> for me and I'm very looking forward to it. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. This was a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to our discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet Carrie at K-E-R-R-I-N-P-R. And if you miss us live, you'll find all of our shows by subscribing to this podcast. If you have questions, you can email us at talk at NPR.org.